0: So, in reality, we often find ourselves wanting to follow God, but things distract us, they pull us away, or we just wander off in our thoughts. And so, we content ourselves that we're still following, but we know that maybe not as much as we really want to um, The work we know we still have to put in, and so Lent is a time in the church set aside to say to people, "Yeah, I get it. Now we're just going to refocus and and put more energy in, and we're going to work on ourselves." And so, to do that, we've been working through the sermon on the mount in Matthew this the sermon that Jesus has given to as not just a crowd but crowds upon crowds have gathered before him and we've been waking, making our way through this sermon and last week we we spoke about how Jesus was addressing the crowds where they really are and he he challenged them and us not to practice our righteousness, not to practice our ways of following God so that we might receive praise, but rather to practice in such a way that God receives all the praise. That was kind of a quick summation. If if you wondered where the sermon went last week, there it is. In our practicing God's good works, in our seeking to be righteous before God, that if people see that, not that they give us praise, but that they'll, they'll give God praise and that we wouldn't seek that praise for ourselves. That was kind of the focus. And the final part of that was Jesus saying that we cannot serve two masters. That we can't serve both God and the Greek translation is manna. You know, your NIV or some other thing might translate it as Money but it means anything in life, all the stuff of life. You can't serve both God and the stuff of life. And Jesus is using that to reflect back on what he said earlier to say to them, look, when you do good things, let it be for God's glory, not yours. That was last week. But Jesus, knowing the crowds, he knows where their minds are going. He knows where our minds are going. He's just said you cannot serve both God and the stuff of life. And so he knows where their mind is going. It's immediately going to that tension that exists between following God and taking care of the realities of life, the stuff of life. How do we handle that? And so he leads into that in verse 25 of chapter 6. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear it and understand it. Help us to hear and understand and process Help us to hear, to understand, to process, and then act. To make those changes that need to be in our lives. So we pray your spirit would work through us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says right after saying that one cannot have two masters, both God and manna, the stuff of life. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, When there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw the pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. "'Seek, and you will find. "'Knock, and the door will be opened to you. "'For everyone who asks receives, "'and the one who seeks finds, "'and to the one who knocks it will be opened. "'Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, "'will give him a stone? "'Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent?' If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our reading today really has four sections. The first section being about what you eat, drink, and wear. The second session being about judging. The third, a very quick verse about dogs and swines and pearls and kind of a little confusing. And the fourth one about asking, seeking, and knocking. Do not be anxious. Or we might say, do not be concerned. Jesus is speaking to the crowd as they immediately start to process this question of what it is to serve God, and yet what do we do with the realities of life, the things we need, the parts of life that are real? They immediately are in their mind as Jesus is challenging them to always focus upon God. They are immediately in that what I call a yeah, but moment. Yeah, I agree with that, but what about, and he's addressing that yeah, but with the stuff of earth. What about this? In many ways, we are thrust back into that Martha and Mary conversation. You remember Martha and Mary, the two sisters, and Jesus comes to their home and Martha is busy running all around, getting the meal preparation, making sure everything is taken care of, being a really good host and making sure that everybody's watched over. But the work is getting overwhelming. And meanwhile, her sister Mary, who could be helping her, is sitting there right at Jesus' feet, learning like the rest of the disciples. And she gets to the point where she finally she can't stand it anymore. The practical things of life need to be taken care of. And she says to Jesus, "Don't you care that my sister sits there? She should be helping me," is the inference. And Jesus calmly, "Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. But Mary has chosen Mary has chosen." To sit and listen in the kingdom. And there's a part within us in which we can hear that and say, Yeah, I, I need to give God more time. Yes, I need to focus more on God. But we're frustrated as well because we want to say, But someone still has to feed everybody. Someone still has to make sure everything's clean, right? Isn't that what's going on in our hearts? And Jesus is recognizing that same question is immediately before the crowd as he's thrust upon them, hey, look, when you do good things, when you're doing the righteous behaviors you're supposed to do, it's not for you, it's for God. And you've got to remember to always serve God and not the stuff of earth. They're immediately thrust into the practical realities of questions. Wait a minute, what about... And so he immediately goes to, do not worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. And we hear in that kind of the practical, the most basic items of life that we need, food and drink, that we need clothing, some kind of covering. You know, when we talk about what's the most basic thing people need, those are there. And we might throw in a third one, the idea of security. Because sometimes food and clothing don't matter much if you're not secure, right? I mean, you, you, it's hard to eat when you're worried that your, your, your life's in danger. It's hard to worry about clothing when you've got to run from a burning building, right? I mean, there, security is a big piece there too, right? So there's a part in which we can hear this and know that Jesus is getting to the very basic core of life. And he's saying, hey, don't be anxious about these things. Don't be concerned about these things. And we're going to get more into why he says that, but I want to introduce a thought to you. We hear that as the very basic parts of life. But I suspect the crowds heard something more. You see, I think they were likely to hear part of a marriage contract. You might be thinking right now, where does he get that? Where does that come from? That was left field, right? A marriage contract or a marriage covenant, one and the same, same word. A bride would receive from a husband these promises. These two promises were in all of the contracts. A third was usually there as well, but these two were always there. That the bride would be promised that she would have food and clothing. The basic inference was, I now will take care of you. As you leave your parents' household, I now will take care of you. Food and clothing were the basic promises. And if the husband neglected to provide food and clothing. That was a breaking of the contract. That was a breaking of the marriage covenant. Now, where am I going? Israel understood itself through the prophets. The prophets spoke of this many times, that God had entered into a marriage contract, a marriage covenant with Israel. More than one time, God speaks of Israel as his bride and that he uses the language to help them understand how much he loves them and promises to care for them. He uses the language of a marriage covenant. He also uses it to tell how they've broken the covenant, how they've been unfaithful. But the common Hebrew... The Israelite would know that they are the bride of Christ, that they belong to Christ, and that God makes certain promises in that. And so when Jesus says, do not worry, do not be anxious, do not be concerned about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you are wear," we hear, oh, the basic necessities of life. They heard that as well as a reminder Because remember, Jesus has been talking about heaven, the kingdom of heaven, a reminder, that's right. God promises these things. And just in case they were slow to take that up, just in case they were slow to make that connection, he immediately follows with what God does in relationship to feeding the animals. Look at the birds. They're not reaping and sowing or storing up in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Or look at the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. In other words, they're not making clothing, and yet look at how they're adorned. Even Solomon in all of his glory was not adorned like one of those. And then Jesus uses what's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. It's a common rabbinical teacher argument. That as the least is true, then how much more for the greater? And he says directly, look, if God cares that much for the sparrow, how much more for you? If God adorns the lily that well, and yet it's alive today, tomorrow it's part for the fire, how much more you? And so in this first of the four sections, Jesus is picking up that concern that we all have. But yeah, what about the realities of life? And he's reminding them, reminding them that they belong to God. And God has made a promise to provide, to care for, to watch over, that God has made this promise. And he's circling back and saying to them, look, therefore, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And in many ways, he is inviting them again into their own marriage part of the contract. Hey, remember, God is your husband. Seek him first. Go after him first. Be with the kingdom of God first. And these other things will come along. It's not just a simple formula for us that if you seek God first, everything else will be taken care of. It's more a re- reality that, God, that Jesus is calling us back into the relationship that we've been called into. It's a relationship. A deep and abiding relationship. And he's reminding them and he's reminding us of who we are. That we belong to Christ. That we belong to God. And he's trying to pull us away from our concerns about whether these things will be handled. How can I serve you, God, when I've got to worry about these? No. The fourth section is similarly like the first, circling back at the very end to remind them ask. And it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. These are pretty bold statements. I would love to take that to the bank, wouldn't you? I mean, I remember uh, teaching uh, campers when I was a camp counselor how to pray, and and they, I was so excited when they really started to get into it, and these young kids were starting to pray, and they were excited, and they were they were feeling the power of prayer. And then as we were walking the long trail to breakfast in the cafeteria that morning they said hey you know what would be great this morning is french toast and then one of them had the bright idea why don't we pray for it he says ask and you'll receive boy was i praying even harder than them the whole way oh god please come through It seems like a bold statement, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open for you. Really? Does that mean I've got a great powerful formula? I've got my genie in the lamp that I can rub and God will do? No, it circles back to the very first part. God has us. Don't be afraid to express where we are and what we're struggling with and, and what we believe our needs with. Let us wrestle with God. Sometimes we'll find what we think is a need is just a want. But Jesus follows that up by not letting us get boiled down in some formula, but to rather say straightforward, look, you all know how to care for your children. And you all are messed up. Modern translation. What's, what's the modern translation? A hot mess. Right? And he says, but you know, none of you, if your child asks for bread, you're gonna give him a stone, although you might have thought of it. Right? Or fish and then a serpent. I mean, we don't do that. At least our understanding of what a parent would do wouldn't do that. And then from the lesser to the greater argument again, Jesus says, how much more your Father in heaven? He knows how to care for you. He knows you, he knows me, better than we know ourselves. He knows exactly what we need. For each of us was fearfully and wonderfully made before we were even in our mother's womb. So Jesus is directing his his statements to that worry, that anxiousness that we can't help but do where we say, well, that all sounds great, but what about this? And he's addressing it right away. And then in between that first and fourth one, we we run into this statement about judgment. You might remember that Jesus uh, used as examples last week behaviors that they might have done, such as giving alms or giving to the poor or praying or fasting. And they they would do it sometimes in a manner so that they could be seen by others, to be seen as being holy and he used examples of religious leaders in particular. And so it's easy for any of us when we hear an example of someone we're not for us to start thinking about others and not look at our own self. And so as he's really calling them again and again to look at themselves, who they are and who they are called to be, who we are and who we are called to be, he's pointing out. Look, I want you to look At your judgment. Now, we could have easily, naturally gone to judgment without Jesus saying any of this just by the idea that he starts out talking about anxieties or concerns. You see, because when someone is anxious, they are prone to, or they are very likely on the path towards controlling. Controlling. When you're unsure about your environment, you try to control your environment, right? It's a natural thing that we do. Some of us take it overboard, and we start to control not only our environment, but everyone around us. Matter of fact, if you're dealing with someone who's controlling in your life, chances are that person is an anxious person. Let us all now just raise our hands, right? But in controlling, we often tend also to start judging We judge between what someone else does and what we would have done. Oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. We might not say that out loud, but we naturally go through this process from anxiousness to controlling to judging the way others are behaving, what we would do as opposed to what they do. Psychologically, it makes all the sense in the world, but Jesus is not only doing that, but he's coming back and saying, look, this is about you and me. Not him, me, but me, me. That's about us. It's not about everyone else out there. It's about us. And he uses an example that they were very familiar with when they measured out grain and everything else. There was always the worry about what if that person's measure doesn't operate the same as my measure? What if it's unfairly weighted? So you would always use the same measure, and the person buying was usually the person who got to use the measure. And he's using that comparison to say, hey, the way you behave here is the way you're going to be treated here. If you judge this way, you're going to be judged this way. And then he expands on it and says, look, you've got so much to work on in your own life. And it's true, we do. That's like you had a log in your eye and you're concerned about the speck in someone else's eye. Lent is a time of preparation, a time of preparing for celebrating Easter, and it's a time for work for us. There is so much for us to do. We came in this morning likely wanting to encounter God, likely wanting to learn who we are to be, hoping that we'd be given some direction, some challenges. But at the same time, let's admit that the challenges wouldn't be too great, that they wouldn't ask too much of us. Jesus is not letting us get away that easy. He's saying, look, what's, what you're dealing with is far bigger than what you're seeing in the other person. It's time to focus on what you're dealing with. It's his equivalent of really saying, hey, when, when suddenly the plane is going down and the oxygen masks come down, you put your own oxygen mask on first before you reach over and help your child. Why? So that you are cared for, so that you can help someone else. And then he has that statement in there, that third section, which is ever so brief, of, you know, don't give the, the the dogs are out there always, um, The dogs in that time were a totally different thing than our domesticated animals. They were always hungry, always going after things. And, And that the pigs, don't throw your pearls before pigs. This idea that, look, this working after holiness is not something for you just to throw around for someone else to worry with. It'll turn around and bite you. It's your work. It's my work. It's what we're supposed to be doing. And every step of that work, when we're uncertain because we're worried about all these other things, Jesus is reminding us that God has us. He bookends it with the front end and the back end. The front end is, do not worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. I got you. I'm in a contract. I'm in a covenant with you. And as Jeremiah said, through Jesus Christ, it's now a new covenant. And you know what that new covenant is different from the old covenant? The new covenant means that God will never allow it to be broken. Ever. Doesn't matter how many times we break it, God will not break the covenant. So don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. That's one end of the bookend. And the other end of the bookend is, look, ask, seek, not. I've got you. You know how to give to your children. How much more do I know how to give to you? So as I hold you, as I care for you, Jesus is saying, now is the time to start working on who you are to be in me. Each of us knows what that log is in our eye. Maybe some of us have multiple locks, but we know what we need to work on, and Christ is calling us to do that starting today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us, for indeed we are anxious about many things. Even now, we still have a whole bunch of yeah buts, or wondering, how does that work? But what we are seeing over and over again is that Jesus is telling the people and us that you have us. And you demonstrated that through sending your son all the way to the cross, that he willingly and obediently went to take on our sins so that we would no longer be worthy of your judgment, that he washes us through his blood It's the new covenant, O Lord, the new promise that you have given that cannot be taken away from us. So help us now being free of all that worry. Help us to follow you and take those steps forward that we need to do. We pray all this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours this day and forevermore. Amen.